Hey, welcome. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock. He's one of my favorite economists. He is a, a Ph.D., uh, in, uh, and he is the Emeritus Professor of Finance, Ramapo College, author of Finance of Healthcare, Navigating the Boom-Bust Cycle, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story. Uh, it is Dr. Murray Sabrin, and uh, we are thrilled to have you back on. Uh, Murray, the president wants to uh, apparently uh, push for new taxes, and he wants a wealth tax. Uh, he he really seems to think that the wealthy aren't paying their fair share. Well, that is the canard that the uh, Democrats and the left have been um, have been promoting for for decades. I mean, I, first of all, they don't even de- uh, define fair share, and uh, and as a libertarian, uh, all taxes are unfair. So you can't have a, a fair tax because there's no such thing as a fair tax because it's based upon coercion, and we know that in a free society, coercion should be minimized as much as possible, and especially by the government. And so uh, we know from the data, one percent of the uh, American taxpayers pay 40 percent of the uh, of the taxes in this country and so uh, th- there's just a gross mis- misunderstanding about taxes and the, the Democrats I think deliberately do this because their whole philosophy is based upon envy and redistribution of income and wealth and so um, we just have to keep on fighting the good fight to point out that the emperor has no clothes and that the tax issue is really a spending issue because if the government didn't spend six trillion dollars a year you wouldn't have to raise uh, Four, five trillion dollars because they don't balance the budget with taxes, and so uh, the federal government is in a real bind because um, their their appetite for the people's uh, money is uh, insatiable, and they keep on spending on programs. And this is the real issue, Gary, that no one is talking about in Washington. We have an unconstitutional budget because most of government spending is not authorized by Article One, Section Eight. Whatever happened to the doctrine of enumerated powers? Well, it's gone by the wayside since uh, for, for the least uh, 100 years since the progressive period where they started uh, creating all these uh, new laws and regulations and mandates. And then, of course, it accelerated with the uh, uh, New Deal programs of Hoover and Roosevelt. And then we had another leap forward with the, uh, with the Great Society programs. And the sad reality is that the Supreme Court, which is supposed to protect the American people's uh, individual rights and property rights, have basically rubber-stamped everything the federal government has done. And so uh, the other day, uh, a federal court in, in New York uh, State uh, just uh, pronounced that the uh, rent control laws in New York State are constitutional, which I don't see where that is because there's no authorization to cap uh, rents of, uh, or cap prices in any shape, way, or form. So here's another government uh, an example of no government intervention in the economy, which uh, causes distortions, in this case, the housing market, and uh, the government has done it in, in, the, in medical care, it's done it in higher education, it's done it in energy and transportation, and um, we just have to point out that these things are counterproductive. They don't achieve the results that the uh, left says it will, namely create um, a better outcomes for the American people. What pathologies develop when they have uh, rent control? Well, I saw it firsthand as a new teacher in the South Bronx in the late 60s and early 70s. We saw blocks and blocks of abandoned buildings because rent control, which was implemented in World War II as a temporary measure, continued after the war in New York City. And as price, as uh, expenses went up and rents were capped, 
landlords were, were caught in a squeeze, that their expenses were greater than their uh, rents, and so they walked away from buildings. And, of course, property taxes kept on going up. And I saw vast uh, wastelands of urban America because of rent control. These are areas that Jimmy Carter campaigned for the presidency in 1976 and Ronald Reagan in 1980. You could probably Google and see pictures of them campaigning in areas that look like Berlin after World War II. What, um, tell me what, uh, what a wealth tax is. Um, I think California wants to tax uh, wealthy people who leave the state. I'm not sure how they pull that off, but that's one of their goals. It's, it's a nightmare because you have to, uh, I would imagine, you have to list all your assets. Now, what, uh, what is artwork uh, worth? Uh, what is a piece of art or, uh, or a coin collection worth? You have to go and get that appraised. So that means more expenses for the taxpayer to see what these things are worth. Uh, a wealth tax is nothing but the confiscation. It, it's really driven by this whole notion that somehow wealthy people are, uh, uh, are required to pay for, the, for government services for the most part. And... Uh, a wealth tax is nothing but a confiscation of assets that are used by upper-income folks and middle-income folks for capital investment, which is the driving engine of the economy. Without capital investment, Gary, we don't have a high standard of living because who's going to who's going to build the factories, the equipment that you need to produce all the goods that that we uh, have, um, the infrastructure and the utilities, uh, the uh, automobile companies for their factories and, and robot and robots. So the whole notion of a wealth tax is anti-prosperity, and um, the knuckleheads in Washington should figure this out by now, but they're so <laughs> driven by their ideology that they're blinded to, to basic economics. Dr. Murray Sabrin is our guest, Ph.D., Emeritus Professor of Finance, Ramapo College, author of, uh, of kind of a prolific writer, aren't you? Um, well, finance uh, since, of, uh, since I retired in July of 2020, I've written four books, and uh, one book was published just before I retired on uh, why the Federal Reserve sucks, and then my uh, 1995 book on tax-free uh, 2000 of how to create a tax-free America for the 21st century. Obviously, the people in Washington haven't read the book because we would not have a, a $32 trillion debt today and a $6 trillion budget if we uh, followed the timeline that I had to downsize the federal government to its constitutional uh, authorizations. Uh, I'm going to go off uh, off script here a little bit. Uh, it, I'm just, I buy uh, gold, a gold coin, mm -hmm. uh, and I buy it at $250 an ounce. And 15 years later, it's $1,700 an ounce. Mm -hmm. Have I gotten a capital gain? Not really, because all you're doing is keeping up with inflation. So this is the sad reality. Uh, gold is basically money. I mean, the dollar was originally defined as a unit weight of gold. So gold is the ultimate money. It's used all over the world, as is the U.S. dollar, because people have faith faith in the dollar, and that faith, is, I think, is, is waning because we know that central banks have been buying up gold the last few years because they see the U.S. dollar <clears throat> declining in value because of all the money printing by the Federal Reserve. So they're very nervous about what the U.S. fiscal policy and monetary policies have been over the last few years. And so uh, money should not be taxed at all. I mean, this is absurd. In fact, uh, the, the greatest crime that took place took place in the last 10 years when the Federal Reserve kept interest rates at 0% effectively for so many years, the American people lost $4 trillion in interest from their bank accounts, their savings accounts, their money market funds, and this is the great uh, heist that has taken place, and nobody in Washington has called out the federal government and the Federal Reserve for doing this. So I haven't gained 
any spending power. The right. gold isn't more powerful than it was. It's just that the dollar is so much less powerful, it takes more of them mm-hmm. to buy the same number of goods. Absolutely. That's what inflation is. It's, it's, a, de, it's a, uh, a debasing of the currency where the, the, the supply goes up because we have a fiat currency, which means that the Federal Reserve can literally create as many dollars as they want. In fact, if they, if they wanted to, they could literally create a trillion dollars today, and that money would flow through the economy over time, and it would raise prices to astronomical levels. And uh, it's done it in a mini way because the money supply went up 25 percent in, in uh, 2020. And that money has been flowing through the system, and the geniuses of the Federal Reserve are scratching their heads as to why we have inflation. And the whole Fed approach to inflation is that wages cause inflation, which is which is an absurd concept because wages lag the rise in prices. So we know that wages don't cause prices to rise. Wages are a reflection of people trying to get ahead of the inflation that was caused by the Fed in the first place. So the whole Fed approach is just nuts in terms of economics and finance, and. Um, they're going to cause another recession, which is inevitable because of all the cheap money that took place um, years ago. And so we'll go back to this uh, uh, roller coaster of boom and bust, boom and bust, uh, which I, which I uh, analyze in my uh, Navigating the Boom Bust Cycle book. Uh, the, the president said that uh, he has brought down inflation. Can you tell me what he has done to bring down inflation? Uh, when I listen to this, my head explodes, uh, Gary. I've been listening to State of the Union messages for a long time, and last night I figured I had to uh, uh, listen to it because I want to write about it uh, for my Substack column today. And uh, he hasn't done anything to bring down inflation. Inflation comes down because there's less money in the economy, and that's that's what the Federal Reserve does. It's been withdrawing liquidity from the banking system, which means that there's less money for people to borrow, interest rates go up, and there's less demand for housing, cars, and uh, other goods and services. So the president has nothing to do with inflation. Uh, the Congress has nothing to do with inflation. The f- inflation is caused by one uh, institution, and that's the Federal Reserve, literally having an unlimited checking account, which uh, what I found out about this in the late 60s, early 70s, I said, what's going to be the end result of this? And here it is 50 plus years later, and I think we're seeing the last chapter in this experiment of central banking in the United States. How long this last chapter lasts is anyone's guess, but the point is how long can foreigners hold on to their dollars, which are losing value every single year, and that's why, uh, as I said earlier, central banks around the world are loading up on gold because they realize that the dollar will keep on losing its value over time. They just keep whistling past the graveyard. It uh, makes me crazy. It really, really makes me crazy. Well, this is why this is why ideology is so important, uh, Gary. Is what whatever people's ideas are, they try to implement them. And when you show that these are these are uh, uh, fallacious ideas, they sort of. Uh, call you all sorts of uh, names. Uh, they demagogue the issue to death. And that's why uh, Biden's State of the Union speech was just uh, another example of how Washington is so embedded into this welfare warfare state. It's crazy making. Dr. Murray Sabrin, uh, you can get him at uh, Substack. Uh, MurraySabrin.substack.com. Federal Reserve's 2% inflation target. Um Without the Federal Reserve, we wouldn't even have 2%, would we? 
actually, in the free market economy, Gary, which we saw in the late the latter half of the 19th century, prices slowly go down as productivity increases, the money supply is relatively stable, and the, and the beauty of it is all workers benefit because if their wages stay the same and prices go down, their real incomes go up. Now we have this, um, this veil of uh, uh, wages going up, but wages are lagging behind the rise in prices. So workers are, are, are behind the eight ball every single year uh, in the economy. So the Federal Reserve should be abolished. There's no need to have a, a Federal Reserve. We didn't have a, a central bank throughout most of our history, and the economy did extremely well. We had great periods of prosperity in, uh, in the last half of the 19th century because uh, there was tremendous productivity, tremendous investment in the capital structure of the economy, and prices were going down, down, down. And uh, this was a great time for workers because their real incomes went up, and that uh, that was fa- was the foundation for the great boom of the 20th century. And it has nothing to do with government spending or uh, Federal Reserve policy. It all has to do with investment in capital goods, which is the engine of prosperity. You want to you want to know, uh, you know, if you want to understand basic economics, um, you got to get his uh, Substack column. Thank you very much, Dr. Murray Sabrin, for being with us. Thanks, Gary. Look forward to it again. All right. Take care. Glad to have you with us. It is the Gary Nolan Show, and it's the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 23 minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Uh, The telephone number here is 874-9390 or 800-529-5572. There is um, apparently a large number of people, Americans, who want a strong, rough anti-democratic leader. Uh, The story is at nextgov.com. It might be comforting to think that American democracy has made it past January 6th insurrection, but our research shows a wide range of Americans, people of all political stripes, seek leaders who are fundamentally anti-democratic. It's true that many who participated in the insurrection are facing consequences, including prison time, Many candidates for state office who falsely, I'm just reading it, I'm not declaring it, claim that Donald Trump won the 2020 presidential election, uh, lost their races. And the Congressional Committee investigating the insurrection voted to refer Trump to the Department of Justice for criminal charges. More than 100 members of Congress who objected to the results of a free and fair election won their re-election campaigns. And at least seven people who attended the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th have been elected to state legislatures. Two have been elected to Congress. As scholars interested in how committed citizens are to democracy, we wanted to measure whether regular Americans want someone who will abide by democratic traditions and practices or dispense with them. Using a nationally representative sample of 1,500 respondents, we found that a large proportion of Americans are willing to support leaders who would violate democratic principles. Well, democratic principles. What are democratic principles? Here's what I suspect the, the author of this column doesn't understand. And I know many of you do. It's not a democracy. The only democratic process is the election itself. 
majority of people vote for somebody to go in office, they go in office. The rest of everything else, especially at the federal level, it's a republic. It operates under the rules of the Constitution. It's not, you don't get to say, if you follow the, the Constitution, you don't get to say, I want to take uh, Joe's car down the street because he's wealthy uh, and he's, uh, he's, he's driving an expensive car and I want it. That's a democracy. It's two wolves and a sheep deciding lunch. We don't have that. We have a republic. And the Constitution protects certain rights. And they don't get it. It's not about a democracy. It's about protecting rights. It's about a republic. And frankly, Democrats and Republicans, for the last, I would argue now, 100 years, have done the best they can to disassemble the republic and turn it into a democracy. And that's a crying shame because that's when voters realize that they can you know, vote to take money out of the treasury, that they can, for their own personal use, for their own private well-being, take somebody else's money. It's easy in a democracy, a lot tougher in a republic. But these people, they don't get it. I don't want a powerful democracy. I don't want a democracy at all. All this stuff, we always hear this, such and such a country, we're going to try and provide a democracy. We're hoping that they'll develop a democracy. No. Protect their freedoms, create a republic, and make their elected officials do only what their constitution allows. That's what we should be doing. But we're not. 874-9390, toll-free number 800-529-5572. I understand we got... Uh, did, are we, um, what do we have, about a minute? Minute and a half. Minute and a half that I'm going to chat with Gary. Gary, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Uh, just so you know, I own uh, Meta and I own uh, Exxon. And uh, both of those companies buy back shares of their own stock. And Meta, Biden's favorite, uh, their stock went up $30 on one day last week. Because they're going to buy $40 billion of their own stock. And uh, everybody that had Meta got on the, on the board and said, you're not going to hear Biden say anything about us buying our stock back. <laughs> yeah, evil big internet. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, a, uh, after all, Facebook does important work. They're a social network. We can't have the companies. We can't have the companies that provide warmth and energy and supply or power for the nation. We can't have them making any money. No, we can't let them secure their future. We'll paint them as villains because while he's uh, the president's trying to kill their business, he wants them to go out and invest what little liquidity they have left in keeping prices down. It's not their job. Their job is to make a profit. It's to drill. But he's getting in the way. 
Gary, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. It is the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1035, and Donald Trump is getting really... I, I, gotta, I, I think this is really ugly. He's got a, a photograph of uh, Ron DeSantis when he was a teacher. And Trump writes, that's not Ron, is it? He would never do such a thing. And then uh, it's a picture of DeSantis holding what appears to be a bottle of beer and three young women uh, standing around him. Here's Ron DeSanctimonious grooming high school girls with alcohol as a teacher. Now, it turns out that um, the media has looked at this and they haven't been able to... Um, they, they literally... They don't know if these are underage girls, if they're actually students. Uh, one, uh, one young lady apparently uh, said this was, an, this was after graduation... Um, but he's really trying to attack Ron DeSantis, and it's an ugly attack. I I think he's going too far with this. And his problem is that DeSantis keeps rising in the polls. You know, if DeSantis does something that you don't like politically, or if he really was, a, you know, a, having sex with high school students or something like that, yeah, you go after him. But you don't just take a picture out of context and make it seem as though he has this, you know, sexual attraction to young kids. It's an ugly way to attack DeSantis. And I really, I mean, uh, there is a, it says, Neither post contains evidence that the girls pictured were underage or established that anyone photographed was illegally consuming alcohol. Uh, and apparently the Daily Mail uh, has not been able to verify the provenance of the photos. But Trump is so afraid of DeSantis that he's doing this ad hominem attack. And I really wish he wouldn't do that. I, I think it's just very, very ugly. Uh, Terry sent me a message. You can send me a message. Go to GaryNolan.com. Send me a message at pops up in the studio, or you can call 800-529-5572. Uh, Terry just sent me a message. Uh, you said the U.S. is not a democracy, but a republic. Hallelujah. Thank you. Uh, Vega, what exactly would be so bad about a democracy, man? Seems to me having a voice would be great. A republic just kind of passes off the blame to someone else. Nobody is held accountable. I, I am, I'm assuming that uh, whoever Vega is... Uh, that he's being facetious. But in a democracy, there are no rules. Imagine if you're... It, it, let me just shrink this down. Suppose your neighborhood was a democracy and somebody uh, envied your house and they had a vote and said, uh, the, you know, the majority rules, it's a democracy, so... How many of us would like to uh, uh, take that house from him? And if the majority vote yes, you lose your house. That's a democracy. The, the old adage, two, uh, two wolves and a sheep deciding what's on the menu for lunch. That's a democracy. 
you can't have a, a democracy. It is the downfall of any country. And we've slowly turned our republic into a democracy. When senators run for office, they do exactly what members of the House of Representatives do. They weren't supposed to. In a republic, and, and the way the Founding Fathers set it up, members of the House of Representatives, they're out there trying to do your bidding. What do you want? You want this? You want that? You want something else? You want something? We'll put it, we'll ask for it. We're here to represent you. The Senate's not supposed to do that. The Senate is supposed to be the body that, that uh, is responsible literally to the states. And since the original tax collection scheme relied on federal excise tax and then taxing the states, you had a, 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 this uh, adversarial twist between the House and the Senate and the White House and the states. They were always fighting each other. And always, you know, one would want to spend, the other side would not. Senate would say, well, look, my, you know, the state sent me here uh, to control spending because they'll have to raise taxes. It was a portion to the several states. If, if uh, you spend too much, they're constantly at odds. It was, a, it, was, it was a juggling act, and it was beautiful. But then we got convinced to elect senators, and now they do the same thing the House does. Instead of being on the side of, I need to keep the spending down because my state will have to raise the money to pay the bill. They're now saying, what do you want me to put into the, you know, what do you want me to give you from the coffers? How do you want me to spend the money from the Treasury? They're no different than the House of Representatives. What you've got is a, a smaller number of representatives with a longer term. It's no longer the Senate. So, no, you don't want a democracy. You want to have a, a set of rules. These are the parameters. This is what you can do. And no more. And we've, we've altered that. That's how we ended up with $31.5 trillion in debt. Because we ignored uh, the, the goal of the Founding Fathers. All right. Uh, I got to move on. Uh, 874-9390. 800-529-5572. Here's where I get, uh, where I cross with DeSantis. Governor DeSantis is raising the possibility of passing legislation that could lower the bar for prominent people to successfully sue news outlets for defamation. In a roundtable discussion that featured complaints about the unfair narrative of the uh, news media, DeSantis sat behind a desk similar to the one uh, of a news anchor with the backdrop of the word truth on a screen. He spoke with six panelists, including attorneys who litigate libel cases, libertarian journalist Michael Moynihan and Nicholas Sandman, a conservative activist who had spoken uh, extensively about his mistreatment by the mainstream media, while the governor... And the panelists weighed various policy options. The event concluded without DeSantis announcing any specific bill or action to be taken, only telling viewers to, be, to stay tuned. 
Well, look, the media are guaranteed freedom of the press. They're entitled to their opinion. They write what they feel is right, and we don't have a right to stop it. I may not like it. I may think they're absolutely wrong, but uh, libel, for somebody who is uh, in the public eye, it's very difficult, and it should be, to sue them. Uh, what is this? My earlier comments on police. Jack, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I just wanted to make a comment about the talk. Go ahead. Uh in 1960, I was five years old. My father was a policeman in Wichita, Kansas. My grandfather was a sheriff in Clay County, Kansas. And uh, we went to see my grandfather. And this was before Miranda rights. So policemen could basically tune you up anytime they wanted to. And so I think they were worried about me because I was a smart aleck little kid. <laughs> and they both told me, they said, now if any officer ever stops you or wants to talk to you, you say, yes, sir, you say, no, sir, and how can I help you, sir? And, and I think that basic talk goes ungiven in a lot of households. Um, are you a member of a minority? No, sir. And, and they still, they told you that? Well, oh, I thought absolutely. only... I thought only members of minorities, uh, you know, dark, uh, uh, brown-skinned uh, kids get that speech. No, no. And, you know, the other part, too, is, you know, I was, I was enamored with cowboys. And so my grandfather said, come on up. And he said he had these six guns on his hips, you know, like a old cowboy-type sheriff thing. And... Uh, he said, would you like to look at one of my guns? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And he says, okay. But he says, we got a few rules. He says, first thing is we always check to make sure it's unloaded. And the second thing is you never, ever point a gun at anybody unless you're going to shoot them. And you don't ever shoot them unless you're in fear of your life or your family's life. And then if you shoot them, you kill them. And again, I think, you know, I think if they would give that talk in more times... Uh, yeah, there'd well, be a lot less problems. The only thing I disagree with, if, if you shoot them, you kill them. You shoot them to stop the threat. When the threat is stopped, they may be dead, <laughs> uh, but then they may not. As long as you stop the threat, you stop, you stop squeezing the trigger. Yeah. Well, his point was is that if you're to that point, you know, all offenses are down. But, you know, it was, it was a different time. Yeah. Like I say, I'm, I'm more convinced I got to talk so that I wouldn't get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, Jack, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. We are, uh, the clock is ticking. Some news about making your blood young again. That's next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's uh, 1051, and uh, NBC may have a little bit of a problem starting tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the details on that. I can, I'm going to watch uh, NBC News tomorrow. I may record it. It's going to be fun. Uh, let me go to the phones. Gene, good morning. How are you? I'm just great this morning. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, you're talking about democracy. So that's majority rule. Right. So when you go to a country where the majority of the people, where does racism start? When you have a majority, let's say the majority of the population is white, 
everybody that's of a minority can then be second class citizens because the majority rules. If you go to a country where the major religion is something and you're not part of that religion, you become a second class citizen because the majority rules. Yep. Is that correct? Am I understanding is, on that? Your understanding is right. That's what happens so, in a democracy. And I grew up in the 40s, and I remember when you talk, when a police officer stops you, yes, sir, no, sir. Yeah. And how high should I jump? I mean, yeah. that's just, we were taught respect for both police officers and for elders, for older people. Yeah, so that's, that that's gone today, life. Gene. That is gone yep. today. Well, common sense is gone today, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you. All right, Gene, Alrighty, thank, thank you. Thank you. Take right. care. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Young blood studies have been focusing on infusing older patients with the blood of their younger and healthier peers. And while these transfusions show promise at uh, turning back the clock, a new study finds scientists may be able to do this without using someone else's blood. This is good for guys like Brian who the moment he sees blood passes out. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Uh, didn't you do that over a your A large quantity of blood. Little, you know, little cuts here and there don't, doesn't bother me. But yeah, the uh, the streams of blood, like taking it out at the blood drive, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out quickly. Researchers from Columbia University in New York say that an anti-inflammatory drug can rejuvenate the system which makes blood possibly increasing human lifespan by decades. An aging blood system, because of its vector for a lot of proteins, uh, cytokines, uh, and, uh, and cells, has a lot of bad consequences for the organism. This is according to the director of the Columbia Stem Cell uh, Initiative at University Release. A 70-year-old with a 40-year-old blood system could have a longer health span, if not a longer lifespan. Well, apparently, this anti-inflammatory drug, uh, it's called Anakinera, A-N-A-K-I-N-R-A. It is approved for the use uh, with rheumatoid arthritis, reverses some of the effects of aging on the blood system. Uh, the drug is available under the brand name Kineret, K-I-N-E-R-E-T, Kineret. Uh, the results indicate that such strategies hold promise for maintaining healthier blood production in the elderly. Uh, after examining the stem cells, which are responsible for creating all the blood in a person's body, uh, they also analyzed the uh, niches where these special cells reside within bone marrow. And uh, apparently this is beneficial. Uh, so, um, uh, Brian, uh, I'm not going to give you any of my blood to keep you young. Thank uh, goodness. Go thank goodness. Yeah, I wouldn't want that type of blood. Anti-inflammatory. <laughs> you know, they're really making some incredible strides on living longer. How long is long enough? How long is long enough? Um, you know, there's some people, I guess, who would want to live forever. I wouldn't. Not saying I'm ready to check out tonight, but I'm saying how, you know, is there a point where you just don't think you'll want to put up with the grind? Is there an age where you think that's enough? 
Is that is that about right? Do you think at eighty five, if if you took the dirt nap at eighty five, would you think that's that was a good long life? Would you like to live to ninety five? Does anybody listening to me right now do you want to live to be one hundred or older? Eight seven four ninety three ninety eight hundred five two nine five five seven two. Brian, do you want to be 100 or older? Uh, I don't think so. I think I'll uh, yeah, put the uh, number at around 80 somewhere. Uh, 80, 85, that's... that's yeah, uh, I think... Uh, I mean, after a while, you become frail, and it's much more difficult to get around. And, yeah, I don't want to have to maneuver as an old person. Just let me check out in my sleep, though. That'll be the best way. Yeah. Um, I'll help you with that if you want. Okay, thank I'll, uh, you for that. Just give me the date, and I'll make sure you're gone by morning. Uh, 874-9390-800-529-5572. Does anybody want to live to 100 or older? Uh, you know, it, it. what about, Brian, if you could be 100 and still be healthy? Eh, strong bones. Maybe. Can I also give that same um, miracle drug or whatever it is to my relatives to where they wouldn't have to? No, I don't think so. Because there's a worry portion of life that never goes away, no matter what. And I just don't want to have to go through with that. All right. Let me go grab some phone calls here. Robert, good morning. How are you? Hello, Gary. I'm doing great. Um, You just said it a while ago, as long as you're healthy... Because for me, um, age doesn't matter. It's whether you have a purpose, whether you can still do something. Um, I just retired at 64 here a few months ago, and everybody tells me that I just have a brain of a late teenager. And that's, you know, it's, a, it's do you have something to drive you? Do you have something to get up for in the morning? Can you still do for yourself? Is life still fun? You know, so that's I, the yardstick for me. I got friends of mine who um, who are retired and they're and they're pretty healthy. And one of them, in fact, it's Gary the Liberal. If you know the character that I uh, sometimes bring to yes. the show, yes, absolutely. Gary is the same age as me. We're like two weeks apart in age. He's retired, and when I talk to him on the phone and I ask him what he's doing, it's like nothing. He he's he's not doing anything, and I feel like if I retire, you know, there, there's just nothing left. I, I got to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. So I don't want to retire too early. All right, Robert. Uh, as long as you got your health, go, keep going. Okay, gotcha. Quick break. We'll be back. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio. This is the Gary Nolan Show.